1: welcome to the show i'm your host scott Wurzbacher, and today we're going to talk about recognizing the abundance that surrounds us and using it to serve others in order to plain and simply help make the world a better place our guest is a true hero and he's on his own hero's journey brad israel from mobile alabama is with us today brad is the president and founder of warrior 360 a leadership development company focused on coaching and consulting with businesses and teams. His work stems from 14 years of dedicated military service. On September 11th, 2001, Brad heard his call to adventure, and he followed through by joining the United States Army. In his time there, he became an Army Ranger, a Combat Commander, and a Green Beret and he served in combat on multiple deployments to Afghanistan during Operation Enduring Freedom. And while Brad's story is filled with bravery and courage, leadership, and a sense of duty, what is most inspiring to me is his attitude of abundance and gratitude and how even in the face of adversity, he shared these incredible gifts with others. Friends, get ready to be wowed and inspired And Brad, welcome to the campfire. Thanks for having me,
0: Scott. I look forward to our conversation this morning.
1: I am so excited and I just wanna start off with a huge thank you for your service. I appreciate that, thank you very much. Yeah, so Brad, your story, uh, we're gonna start with you as a sophomore in college on 9-11 and uh, how this all unfolds for you and this desire to join the Army. And I wonder if we could just jump right in there.
0: Yeah, that was uh, that was many years ago, and um, and and it really was it was that one of many decisive moments in my life that I would say I, I kind of had a, a pretty clear understanding of I needed to go do this. It 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 had never really crossed my mind. I'd grown up playing sports and was competitive in football and and loved. Uh, the competition aspect of things, but but when that happened, it just it just really struck a chord, uh, like it did with so many in our country, and and sent me on this journey of self-reflection to really look under the hood and and see who was I and what did I have to offer, um, and and that's kind of what I would say s- sent me on this research and wanted to meet as many people that had graduated from Hampton Sydney College where I, where I was in school. Uh, that had gone into the service so that I could start to understand and appreciate their stories and then see what commonalities I had as I was narrowing my list on wanting to go into the Army. And we also, we had a great mentor up there, General Sam Wilson, that had just uh, deeply impacted countless number of of men that that ended up going on to graduate from there. And he was like a grandfather to me. And he took me under his wing and really taught me an enormous amount, too. But but that was that was where it all started was when when that happened that morning, I was a sophomore sitting in a psychology class. And so for sure, the flame was lit. And, and I knew that at that point, I wasn't going to want to go just do the, the typical route and go to college and then go right into business or um, whatever I was kind of being pushed into because I didn't have a clear uh, vision on what was next. And then this was it.
1: Yeah. I wonder. So a a lot of this podcast is um, kind of modeled after this concept of the hero's journey and it starts with this call to adventure. And um, I didn't mention in in the intro and I should have, you have an incredible TED talk and would love to um, direct people to go check out your TED talk. One of the things in your TED talk um, that you said was, that that event 9-11 ignited a flame in you that made you want to serve and and to me it's like that's that call to adventure this flame that was ignited and you just used that word flame again a second ago so i wonder if you could just tell us um what was it like sitting in that psychology class or or just that 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 sort of general time period what did that flame feel like like was there emotion that came with it was there anger was there you know i just wonder if you could talk a little bit about that flame
0: for sure, that there was definitely emotion, and I think where General Sam played such a critical role in my life was that you need to be able to to take a step back from the emotion and and try. Everything we do is has got an emotional context to it, but then can you run it through the the logical, the more rational part of your brain too? Because the reality is, is that emotion to go make an enormous commitment like that with with your life if that's that the minute you hit adversity in the military that could quickly change and so you've got to you've got to really understand what you're getting yourself into and the sacrifice that you're about to make and the discipline required behind that sacrifice in order to see that all the way through and so i think he was there to kind of temper my emotions with you need to you need to think of this holistically all the way through with why is it that you want to go do it and I would also share with with others that that experience things and whatever it is that that they want to pursue, especially in uh, you know, in the in the call to adventure in the hero's journey, sometimes these things will pull at us, and we will try to talk ourselves out of it. But in your mind, you have clarity with what you need to do and what the next step is. And then it's just having the courage sometimes to to take that step. And for me, that was, because I did. I mean, I remember I talked to my parents and um, my grand, my grandfathers had both served, but but uh, but then there was a generational skip, and so they were never saying you don't need to go do this, but they were certainly, I mean, as as I would be if my any of my three young boys wanted to go following my footsteps, I mean they were they were certainly uh, concerned for my well being and and said. Is it, tell me where you're coming from, what is this? And have you looked at other options? There's other ways to serve. And, and so um, they and, and many others, friends um, as well, were certainly asking and questioning my decision-making, but you just kind of have to follow what's what's innately in all of us and trust your gut in those moments, not to go do it haphazardly, but say, okay, if this is my direction of travel, I need to arm myself with as much information as possible so that I know what I'm walking into, because you're never going to be able to control all of that. But you can at least influence some of the variables that go into your decision making process or matrix or however you do it. But that was that was the big thing for me is I couldn't deny what I was what I was feeling and, and the clarity that I did have inside, even if I couldn't articulate it at the time.
1: Yeah, it's great. I mean, I love that, you know, it seems like there's like a powerful, like emotional force that is kind of pulling you, but then the rational decision-making around like whether this is the right thing. I wonder like, what were some of the emotions that, that fueled this for you?
0: At first it
1: was, it
0: was anger. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was just the fact that, that our way of life had been disrupted. And, and I feel at my core, there's a, there's a part of me that, that likes to identify with being a protector and and not wanting to see others be harmed, especially innocent folks be harmed. And so I think that that just further crystallized it for me, but yeah, there was a wave of emotions. I mean, it was, it was the, the, the anger, um, just the, the not understanding, um, why such savages could want to go do something like that. And then uh, and then again, for me, it was then getting clarity of thought. With okay, now, now it's I've got to transition the anger into fuel for what's next because you can't just go off of anger or you'll be reckless. So, and it wasn't to go out uh, to to necessarily seek revenge as much as it was to stand up for our, our ideals and principles of what it is to live in a free society and to represent a democracy. And so. Um, and be able to be able to hopefully impart that upon others in other parts of the world that want to share those ideals and principles with us.
1: Yeah. I, I, you, you and I have only spoken a couple of times, but what you said about just that feeling of being a protector, like I see that in you very clearly, like that's, that's pretty cool that, that you let that come out for listeners. And for me really like contextually, can you tell, tell us a little bit about Brad before that moment? upbringing and kind of what got you to that point so
0: so certainly a a pretty carefree um very privileged upbringing wonderful loving values-based parents that uh that raised us here on the gulf coast and had an older brother a younger sister Uh, we went to a great uh, private school where my my kids are now that's uh kindergarten through 12th grade so great sense of community and and played sports, uh, really really into football more than anything else, and and so you know I'd been a little bit, I would I would say on easy street in regards to uh, had opportunities that not everybody had, and and also that was one of those reflective moments was you know who was I, I and mean, and I got to go to this school growing up, and then I got the opportunity to go to college, and to a a pretty prestigious college at that, and so all those things kind of compounded to uh, help me realize that it was it was also part of my responsibility to pay it forward. And so when we we're talking about abundance, I mean, I, I, I grew up with that around me. I didn't have a need or want. And, and so and I love building relationships with others. And so taking all that and saying, okay, how can I package this to then be able to go pour into those that maybe don't have the similar upbringing, environment, experiences, loved ones that that you know were looking out for them and providing for them the way that I did, and and so that's um that that was as I started to form more of that idea in college. But but yeah, I mean I very social. I mean always. Wanted to, to go out with friends and to go and do adventures and studied in Australia and did a study abroad trip in Central Europe. And, you know, so, I mean, I loved being out there and experiencing new things. And that was kind of up to that point of my life, what I'd done and, and where I'd thrived. And so, so that's, I mean, that's a little bit about, about my upbringing. The Gulf Coast is a great place to raise a family. And that's what attracted us back here so many years later. And, um, and yeah, and, and, just, just love, love everything I, I got to experience growing up. I have no
1: regrets in regards to just the opportunities that I had. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it sounds like you had a, almost a, you know, you, you recognize the abundance that you had and you, and you talk about that in your Ted talk, we're going to get into that a little bit more, but it, it sounds like this event happened on September 11th that maybe caused you to feel a greater sense of gratitude for the abundance that you had and sparked this sort of sense of responsibility to go do something for people that didn't have that abundance that you had? Is that, is that, am I, am I reading that right?
0: Yeah. I mean, I would say that my parents certainly helped shape uh, my siblings and I in regards to always being grateful and for wanting to give back and and for understanding that that uh that the things that that we were fortunate enough to have um were were because of um the hard work the sacrifice all those things that go into it and it's not just to be expected mm-hmm. and but it but it certainly did that beyond the framework and the walls of what i was a use i was accustomed to the, the people that i was exposed to because when you go into the military you're with all walks of life and all different experiences different cultures ethnicities all of that but the common denominator is just how we are and, and seeking connection as human beings and so being able to meet people where they are i think was a big part too of you're not coming in with these preconceived notions and and trying to be uh, super critical or judgmental because somebody didn't grow up or understand or have the values or the manners or the the acumen or whatever you want to throw in there that, that you or people you looked up to did. It was more, okay, how can I understand them and connect with them so that as we walk forward together, we can get better, we can improve, we can create a high performance organization. And, and I'd say that we were successful at doing that across the board um, by, with, and through the buy-in and the beliefs that we shared once we established trust in that relationship. But but certainly um, the the gratitude and being grateful, especially when you're at a, a college like Hampton, Sydney, you could, it could easily be lost on you because you just have things that are expected. And so you have to take a step back and just say, you know, not everybody gets to do these types of things. Not everybody gets an, an, an education like that. So yeah. what an opportunity for us
1: hey everyone it's scott here this podcast is a passion project for me because i absolutely love adventure and it's thanks to the effort of my residential real estate team here in charlotte north carolina that many of you know as the w realty group that this podcast gets funded this awesome group of people have unmatched levels of competence and caring for our clients if you know of anyone looking to buy or sell a home our team serves the Charlotte, North Carolina market, but we can also help you find an agent anywhere throughout the US or Canada through our highly connected network. When you support our real estate business, you are also supporting this podcast. Thanks for listening and thanks for your referrals. I'm wondering, like the word fairness is coming to me right now. Like, was there this feeling of like, this isn't fair? These people shouldn't have to go through this. Like I have all of this abundance and and this is happening in the world. Like. I'm just curious. Did that was that? Did that play a part? You know, I don't. I don't know. I wouldn't say fairness as much as how do
0: you how do you help people actualize and how do you help them see that just because they may come from one, you know, one experience growing up or one stereotype doesn't mean that that has to be the the shackles that they wear for the rest of their life. Because there's been so many stories in our civilization of people that have that have come out of poverty or that have conquered whatever uh, demons that they had to, to wrestle with and come out victorious on the other side. And so I think it's more helping them understand that and not not subscribe to the victim mindset, but more from the the warrior's mindset of, okay, what do I need to do to be able to control the things that I can control, which a lot of it starts with my beliefs and my self-talk, and then the impact that I'm having Um, for myself and for others and how that's going to affect our team, how that's going to affect me and my long-term outcomes. And so, you know, it wasn't, I I mean, the cliche of life isn't fair is is certainly true. And so, I mean, I think if you buy into that, you can start really trying to subscribe more to uh, the victimhood that a lot of our society believes in versus, okay, well, what do I need to do to change the outcomes versus just, you know, kind of being a passive observer and Subscribing to apathy more than action.
1: Yeah, well, you certainly took action. Um, joined the army, become an army ranger, combat commander, green beret, and I, what we're going to get into your story of abundance and how you turned abundance into uh, an igniter of compassion, and that, that's really the essence of what I want to get to. But on that journey. And on the way to that, you experienced a lot of adversity or in combat in your TED talk. You talk about this um, ambush that you found yourself in, in this valley. I wonder if you could just t- to create some context for our listeners, if you could tell us a little bit about that.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, that was that was the, the we had we had uh, been in some small sporadic um engagements up to that point, And we had had rockets and mortars lobbed at us and, and at our, our base where we were living. But that was, we were trying to identify a location for a combat outpost on the Pakistan border because that was a mountainous area. We were probably about 8,000 to 9,000 feet in elevation. It was pretty dense, um, heavily wooded. And the roads were dried out riverbeds called wadis that led you across the border. It was a porous border. And so a lot of times your, your Al-Qaeda network, your HIG, your Haquani fighters were, were finding safe haven and, and sanctuary in Pakistan and going right under the nose of the Pakistani military checkpoints to come across to engage um, with us um, or to go wreak havoc in the villages. And we were trying to find a suitable location to put a combat outpost where we could observe the border crossing. And we had been unsuccessful that morning. We had a long convoy. The problem with those dried out riverbeds is, as you can imagine, the rivers aren't on top of the mountains. The rivers are down in the valley floor. Yeah. So now you've got high ground all around you and, and pretty significant high ground with, you know, some rock faces and cliffs and, and a lot of trees and a lot of great concealment for the enemy to be able to hide in. And so we had come out of one valley and we were entering another to see if we could identify a spot. And we were, those types of missions, you're really a sitting duck unless you've got close air support on station or you've got some helicopters that can kind of uh, provide your overwatch. And if I'm the enemy, all I've got to do is sit at the entrance or the, the mouth of that valley and count your vehicles coming in and say, okay, we've got eight vehicles coming in, there's one way in, there's one way out. so let's let's initiate our assault, our ambush at this at this juncture. And so looking back on it, it wasn't surprising from the advantageous terrain that the enemy had, but it was surreal because that was probably the first moment where it was an overwhelming barrage of firepower initiated with rocket propelled grenades that were raining down on us. and you had that thought in your head, good Lord, they're really trying to kill us. And, you know, you'd obviously been through training at this point. You've been through live fire exercises. And we had been in country for not even a, three or four weeks, probably three and a half weeks at this point. But that for me was kind of a wake up of, yeah, absolutely. It's game on. That's that's what they're here to do is, is they're here to find, fix and destroy you just like you are to them. And so it, uh, it changed the way that I looked at that for the rest of my time, any mission I went on or any deployment. We, we found ourselves where they tried to box in our, our front vehicle and our, our trail vehicle, because if they could disable those, then they had us in the kill zone and they were machine gun fire, small arms fire from our front. So at our 12 o'clock, and then from our, our three o'clock and our nine o'clock and, um, and thankfully, They were not able to disable our vehicles. We were able to push through the kill zone, which is what we did as we returned fire. But when you've only got a small amount of vehicles and everybody else is inside the up armor, you're only returning fire with one weapon system per vehicle. So you've got 240 Bravos, you've got Mark 19 grenade launchers, and you had 50 cal machine guns. Well, our gunner on the rear vehicle um, got hit with shrapnel and kind of peppered him down the side of his face and neck, which... Uh, caused a lot of superficial wounds, but at the time you didn't know that, and a lot of bleeding. And so he drops down. So now we're down a we're down a vehicle. Our sister platoon is not close enough where they can engage yet um, because they're still entering the valley, uh, in, or entering the mountain pass um, from the valley floor. So we're, we're we find ourselves boxed in, and we push through the kill zone. And then the first thing we did was made the call. To, to get guys out of the vehicles and let's climb the high ground because the one thing I know about about uh, the enemy that we faced is even though they're uneducated they're savvy and, and and masterful tacticians because they're survivors they've been doing this for their their entire life uh their 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 lifetime their civilization is you know if they had a water dispute then it would turn into a war and so uh, because they're survivors in the Darwinian sense they also knew that the the odds, started to shift in our favor once we had people, soldiers, warriors, getting out of the vehicles and climbing the high ground and using tactical movement to go engage them with the overwatch of our trucks. So they quickly broke contact after we started to get up there and, and, uh, and meet them at their level to be able to engage them. And we did get close air support on station. We were able to cut off their uh, their exfil back to Pakistan and drop some, um, some pretty big ordnance on them. And uh, and we were able to 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 live to to fight another day. But our trucks were limping back in there with busted windshields and tires shot out and bullet holes all riddled throughout them. And you know that was one of those probably by the grace of God and a lot of prayers too that we didn't find ourselves with a lot more uh, casualties than than just our one wounded who ended up coming back and joining us too. So so yeah, it was intense. I mean, and that kind of set the conditions for my mind to recognize that you're always going to have fear in those moments but you got to sure. be able to act and push through it regardless and so critical how we fall back on training because it becomes instinctual and then you don't have to think you just have to do and yeah. and for a lot of us you can get frozen in the moment i remember my gunner was a young a young guy and he was a private and and as we as we got into that he looks down at me said, sir they're shooting at us I was like you know I said some choice words and told him to return fire because it was one of those moments he was probably feeling the same way he was saying oh my god now here we are I've been I've had drill sergeants standing over me my entire career up to this point tell me what to shoot at and what not to shoot at and now I've got to be making that decision and engaging targets as they present themselves yeah.
1: which are real yeah. human beings. It's it's real. Like one thing I noticed in your TED TED talk that just struck me. Like just kind of recapping what you just said, you mentioned like when it first started happening, you felt like time stopped, but then you you realized and you knew that you had to step into action. And uh, and then I think as you were kind of explaining the experience, like this whole thing leveled up your confidence and your team's confidence, and you all grew out of this.
0: Yes, for sure. And, that, and that's such a big thing, too. I mean, and I think that's a big thing in leadership is it's what people look for is confidence in their leader. And I think it's 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 you know it's balanced with a, a good dose of humility so that you're not seen as arrogant. And that's one thing I wanted to make sure, too, because just because we survived that one didn't mean that we were bulletproof, because right. I lost a lot of good friends that I considered bulletproof. So it was how do you balance that and learn from it? We was like, OK, let's create some truths a few are is we're never going to drive into an area where we can't have the tactical advantage with the high ground and that either means getting out of the vehicles and walking it and if it takes multiple days then so be it or making sure that we've got um close combat uh attack helicopters on station or close air support on station make sure we've got good comms because that was the other thing is our communications were terrible um, you'd have to get out the, the satellite antenna, which we couldn't do at that time to be able to relay back to our to our higher headquarters to let them know what was going on. And so all those things became part of it. But, yeah, it was it was definitely clarity for us and provided confidence going forward. But um, one of those moments that you had to learn and grow from and not get blind confidence with what you were doing. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, so this is the part of the story where, you know, you're facing some really, really harsh adversarial conditions. Um, and I just want to kind of demonstrate that for listeners because the next part of our story is more the the heartwarming piece. Um, honestly, and the part that really inspires me, but it, you know, I think it's important for us to understand, like, again, the conditions that you were, that you were in right? But the story kind of changes a little bit when you, you've you got this great team, you guys have built up this confidence and have, have been able to withstand these, these tough conditions. Um, but then you're transferred to another team, you're transferred to to lead another team. And this is where kind of the second part of our story about abundance comes in. And so I wonder if you could just kind of take it from there and and walk us through this way in which the abundance that you had growing up becomes something that you're able to share and turn into a compassion.
0: Yeah, and let's and let's first uh, let me own the part of the story where I was moping because I was, you know, voluntold that I was leaving my <laughs> platoon that we had helped build into this high functioning organization and <clears throat> and had gotten them to a point where I felt so good about that I didn't get to, to reap the rewards of being with them for the rest of the deployment. And that was really hard. And I, you know, I tried to, resist the opportunity that the colonel was giving me, the battalion commander at the time. And he said, I understand and I acknowledge all that and 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 I can relate. However, you'll have your bags packed and we've got a we've got a helicopter inbound to come get you and you're heading out to Gamal, which was a different area. And all I knew about Delta Company was that they were they were considered the uh, where everybody sent a lot of their soldiers that uh, that that they didn't want, which was a, which was a horrible, uh, stereotype for that organization because it wasn't true. But when they were standing Delta company up, it was a heavy weapons company. And so they went to alpha Bravo and Charlie company and said, you've all got to send 30, whatever the amount plus soldiers to this, to this, uh, new company. Well, we're all driven by self-interest. So if I'm a company commander, do you think I'm going to go give them my, best platoon sergeant, my best squad leaders, my best platoon leader. No, you're going to, you may give them some, but the most part you're going to be like, okay, who can we dispose of? This is our opportunity. And that's, that's, that's what started to take shape. Even if it wasn't true, that's what people started to believe. So when I got over to Delta Company, it was a, it was a broken team. It was absent leadership. They had fired the platoon leader uh, before me in combat, which is pretty rare. And, and so that's where I was showing up and, and I got there and, you know, guys weren't communicating, nobody really cared, uh, who the new, who the new officer was that was going to be taking over this platoon. Cause they, in their minds had already made up that it was going to be just like their last experience, because that's how we are too. Right. I mean, we, we look for things that we can associate in our past and then we give it, we, we self-justify the, the view that we're looking at the world through based off of those experiences. And so that's what I walked into and quickly realized that I didn't have a lot of time on my side to try to right the ship because we were getting asked to go back out on combat operations. Um, also en route there, the first sergeant of that uh, company and uh, four others were uh, killed in a catastrophic improvised explosive device that happened right near that, that new uh, Ford operating base. And so I never even had the privilege of working with him and I'm showing up literally as they're going through the grieving in the mourning, and the emotions of losing uh, folks that I didn't know very well. And so I'm coming in and you're having to really dial up the empathy because I'm the new guy and they don't want anything to do with me because they're over here upset and and, and rightfully so. And so that was, there was just a lot of emotion at play for me. And I quickly had to transition out of that mode of feeling sorry for myself to I needed to be there for them because of what they were experiencing. And, and then quickly also recognize that they were, a lot of them were broken and it bought into, or, you know, were this or were that labels. And that's when we started revisiting, how can I get all these guys adopted like I did with my last platoon by families that will care them, that will pour into them, that will love on them, that will pray for them. And and so we started doing that. I started interviewing them, getting to know them, where they were from, where they married, what was their upbringing like, what were their hobbies, what sports were they interested in, uh, what they want to do outside of the army, all those things and created these little bios on each one of them and then sent them back. And that's where, that's where my mom um, really took some ownership and initiative and started you know, in the community here in Mobile, getting these families adopted to the point where some of them still keep in touch to this day with those, uh, with those soldiers. And, and then we opened it up even beyond that. There was a great, um, there's a great nonprofit that, that, uh, that allowed, it was adopted. I think it was, I can't remember the name at the time, but it was essentially adopt a soldier. And so you would fill out information. And I just really was clear with what we were looking for uh, to help first get these guys minds right and let them know that people they weren't just a statistic that people cared about them back home and they were interested in what they're doing because in Afghanistan most of the focus from the media was on Iraq and so that was nice because we didn't have reporters following us around all the time and and, and being a burden um, but it was also difficult because most people felt a little forgotten um, if they didn't have loved ones and a support network back home And, uh, and so we started to to generate that. And then as these guys started to get all kinds of things from socks to better sleeping bags, to just, just some, you know, comfort items, we then turned the, the spotlight on what all could we ask to start helping the Afghans because they, they'd give us humanitarian aid. It was like bags of flour and rice and beans. And as you can imagine, they're appreciative of it. But when you show up with that every time. They're kind of like great just throw it over here and we'll we'll divvy it out in the village so we started getting toys for the children and school supplies that we could that we could give them and um in winter clothes because the winters are brutal there i mean you and i were laughing about how cold it is here but we're sitting we're sitting in our warm you know our warm offices right now and and have the clothing to provide for ourselves whereas they don't and so um, so all that started to take shape and you started to see this transition uh, for those guys and probably still one of the most rewarding, humbling, fulfilling experiences of my professional career was watching those guys start to activate, starting to do the things we were talking about earlier with recognizing the potential and the gifts that they had and building their own confidence muscles so they could start communicating, interacting, not only with one another, but then also with the Afghans and the villages that we were there to work alongside. So it was a beautiful, you know, transformation where, where things started to change and we had our own standards in second platoon Delta company that, that we wanted to adhere to before anything else, because they were higher than anything that was previously around
1: us. Yeah. So I- I mean, I love this and I want to kind of, I want to backtrack a little bit and break it down. Our, our mutual friend, Wes Lawson, who is also a previous guest of this podcast. Yeah. Uh, had a great he, one. He warned me that Brad is a very humble person and that I might have to drag some things out of him because he won't brag about himself. <laughs> so, um, but I love like the way this story unfolded and you can hear about it in the, in the Ted talk. Um, But uh, I think you talked about how um, your mom was sending you care packages Mm -hmm. and these like boxes of care packages would show up and, and all of it was for you. And it was kind of representative of the abundance that you had grown up with in your life. And these boxes were showing up and I I, it, my sense from the from the TED talk was that there was almost like kind of a sense of embarrassment or like that there was all of this stuff coming for you and these guys weren't getting anything yes yeah sort of what how, how that sort of evolved I mean, you can kind of delve into that a little bit
0: yeah it was you know I think the uh it was it was amplified because it was the winter time and a lot of our a lot of our logistical supplies, deliveries kept getting delayed because of the way the, the weather and the air would get shut down. So the rotary wing couldn't fly out to us because we were we we're in a pretty remote location, um, not near any big, big, big area in Afghanistan. And so all those packages had stacked up even more so. And then when they arrived, it's not like the the bird can't sit on the ground that long, so you need all hands pulling as much stuff off as fast as you can, and and so now you've got an entire platoon pulling things off that all have your name on it, and so they're over there just, I mean, it's it's flipping the script. They're essentially serving me versus me serving them because they're pulling all these. Oh, here's another one for the lieutenant. Here's another one. Here's another one. And so as it stacked up, and you looked around, it was it was very embarrassing. And I said, all right, well, this is all for y'all, so let's start getting into it. But I needed them to feel that more than this was something I was giving them, to it had their name on it and they had ownership of it and somebody was doing it to them, not through me. And so, yeah, and Wes was a huge contributor and all that. Wes sent us amazing um, knives that uh, that provided for the entire uh, platoon which were super expensive and very very and i've still got mine today and 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 folks like wes i mean so many friends and just people that i would met along the way that said we want to support y'all what can we do what can we do and so i quickly realized that i needed to one embrace that support and be grateful for it but then pass it to let me tell you about togno let me tell you about chafee let me tell you about sneed let me tell you about all these guys let's get them stuff. And, and then they started forming a relationship with them. And the only rule I had with the guys was, you will write a thank you note, teach them about that. Because it's not just, because I mean, you know, when you spend the time and the money to go do something like that, I wanna know that you at least, I'm not looking for you to acknowledge me, just say, hey, really appreciate, we got it, right? Yeah. And so I wanted them, and they'd say, well, what do I say? I said, just introduce yourself and tell them a little bit about you and tell them thank you for sending it and for the care that they're providing for you. And, and what did that do? that just opened the floodgates for more, right? Because then people are like, man, I've got a connection over there and I want them to know how much we care. And so it was overwhelming. And that's when we were like, hold on, time out. Now write a note and say, can you send these things for the Afghans? Because we've got everything we need and we're just, you know, we could open our own bazaar over here and start selling stuff to, to everybody. We had so much stuff. So it was time to start giving to them. And that really was a lot of fun. And I saw the, when you're in, in some of the, you know, most difficult, austere environments that are also violent and dangerous, um, being able to humanize it by giving the guys the opportunity to connect with the locals and the children, because children are the same anywhere in the world. They're, they're mischievous, they're curious, and they're full of hope. And so it doesn't matter where you are, you can find that commonality. And, and for the guys, it was great, especially for the ones that were young fathers. Because they got to go back to their families. And if all you've done is kick in doors and find, fix and destroy bad guys, it's hard to put that weapon down and come back and, you know, play with your play with your children and want to be present as a father. So that was important to me, too, to make sure that we did our very best to prepare them also for one day, inevitably, and hopefully God willing, being able to go back
1: home. So, so this thing kind of goes from like, you're, you're receiving all of this abundance. You go back to, to mom and say, Hey, like, let's support these guys. Then the guys are starting to get, feel the love, right? You know, this, this broken team starts receiving the love and then they're starting to feel this sense of abundance. And then because they're feeling it, they now want to pass it on to the people of Afghanistan. I'm like, what was, what was that like for you to watch that transformation of, You know you called like this this broken team to like these people that are now experiencing abundance and wanting to pass it on
0: it's incredible i mean it's probably one of the one of the greatest gifts i think that we can offer is you know i'll never forget when i first arrived and all that they were going through and just when i walked into the sleeping area where we all were how quiet it was and how people were just kind of absorbed in self with you know, playing on a uh, handheld video device, listening to music, reading a magazine, taking a nap. It was really quiet. And maybe that was because of what they're going through at that moment, but then I'd recognized it again, day over day. And as we started to make that transition and you fast forward a few months, that little team room sleeping area was now full of energy, full of life, full of communication, full of laughter. Uh, full of joy, even in combat, because it could be because we we created the conditions for that. Because you ha- I, I, w- I wanted to try to help everybody with we have an on-off switch. And when you put your kit on and you you're you're ready to go and you've got a mission focus, yeah, it's not time to be screwing off and messing around. Mm-hmm. But when we get back, you can't maintain that steady state for 16 months. You've got to have time to be able to laugh joke unwind you know pull pranks do all that stuff and that's what we started to create and breathe life into and so that was probably the indicator for me was when i saw it go from just quiet you know focused on self to now focused on others and interaction and laughter and things like that you knew that we were heading in the right direction and we were well on our way and that they could do this without me and we could be an extension of one another so if we went into a village I could take half the guys and one of my squad leaders or the platoon sergeant could take half the guys and we were going to be the same in regards to our attitude, our behavior and our impact on the locals. And so that was really, really cool. And that was, that was a remarkable experience to be able to look back on and say, I've got a, I've got a darn good group and we were small and mighty. I mean, like we didn't, my, my light infantry airborne platoon was a lot bigger. We had probably 10 or 11 more guys. And, you know, that's a lot more when it comes to security and posture and, um, and just, just, uh, assets available to you. And so we had a smaller group and you still had guys that were going down, getting sick or getting, um, you know, rolling an ankle or, uh, guys that were going on leave because on a long deployment like that they did get time away mm-hmm. and and so you know we we're constantly having to kind of shuffle the deck and and another thing that often people don't think about is when you're in combat you're pulling security 24 hours a day 7 days a week that isn't easy because you're sitting there in in the all the worst of worst conditions the the freezing temperatures with high wind chill snow on the ground or the hot uh, summer days with dust storms kicking up all around you or hail storms, and you're sitting there behind the gun yeah. and you're providing protection for the rest of the team. And it's usually a minimum of, of three to four, sometimes even more depending on the threat, if we're picking up intelligence on anything. And so that isn't easy. And, um, and so to be able to, uh, to get that group uh, to gel like that with all the different obligations pulling at us um was was really really just just an incredible experience it was like i said so humbling to see them buy in because then they took it and ran with it
1: yes uh i mean i i can only imagine i'm also kind of want to share with listeners that there's a whole nother there's a whole nother troop that was at play here in this experience so you guys are the soldiers on the ground serving the country, but this whole story that we're talking about wouldn't have happened if there wasn't a whole nother band of soldiers back in the United States led by your mom. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Right, I, I wonder if you could talk about the people that were back here because, you know, I just think so many of us, you know, we look with admiration and gratitude at folks like yourself. Like, so thankful to have somebody like you serving our country, keeping us safe, but you guys also got fed by the people that were here that were sending that abundance to you. And I just wonder if you could talk about that, that that troop of soldiers that your mom was leading here. Oh, man,
0: they were they're they're certainly more intimidating than us uh, by far <laughs> because they had the, uh, the tenacity and persistence. I'm pretty sure mom had a uh, yellow ribbon on every oak tree in the uh, in the greater south at some point just to keep awareness while everybody was going about their daily lives with what was going on overseas. Because I mean, as as you remember, when nine-eleven happened, we did come together as a country and and President Bush had the highest approval rating of any president in modern day history at like 86%. But you you fast forward four or five years and and it was already forgotten. People had already moved on, uh, not the families that had been affected by 9/11 and all the soldiers and all the loved ones that we had lost, but rest of society had. And so she was, she was not going to allow that to, to you know, fall off the radar. And the Colonial Dame Society and and getting, getting her, uh, her siblings involved in South Carolina and. Uh, my dad's side of the family, you know, scattered from Alabama to uh, Georgia all the way up to Chicago and Arkansas and um, and and just, you know, all over. It, it was it just spread and that message spread. And so she just was a force multiplier for good. And then they had a group that um, they had these rag dolls to love, I think, was where they got the materials or the name of the group. And then these these ladies would get together and they'd sew these dolls and that was a way for them to connect and also, you know, be able to process uh, the anxiety and the stress and the things that they were carrying. Because for, for loved ones back home, when we're doing our thing overseas, they don't know if we're in harm's way at that very moment or not, but they assume that we are. Yeah. And so they live in a, in a constant state of kind of alert and stress that, that we don't understand because we're gone and we're doing what we love doing. And so, I mean, it takes an enormous amount of resilience and grit and, um, and, and persistence and, and keeping positive thoughts. And, um, and that's how she channeled it was by rallying groups together and doing things um, like uh, sending us what we needed, getting soldiers adopted, sewing dolls to send to us so that we could hand it out to the children because they just latched on to them and just loved them with all their hearts all those putting yellow ribbons out, uh, just doing whatever it took, making sure that at church and every church that you were on, your your entire platoon was on the prayer list. I mean, before we deployed that for the first platoon, I had third platoon, Charlie Company, she and, uh, and two of her best friends who were like second moms to me flew over to Italy where we were stationed and brought us St. Michael's medallions that had been blessed by our Uh, priest at church, at Christ Church Cathedral. And so, I mean, you know, things like that. I mean, that's, that is, uh, that's determination, right? So, I mean, she was uh, unbelievably remarkable and steadfast with that all the way through. I mean, all the way through. There wasn't a day that her and my dad weren't, uh, weren't speaking or connecting with somebody. And, and they were just truly, um, I'll be forever indebted to them and grateful for them for doing that. Because, It's it's it was hard. It was probably harder on them. And then eventually my wife, as I deployed again later on and, you know, she has our first child and get to come home from the birth and then go back over to Afghanistan again. So I know that, you know, that's a whole different story that we'll have to save for another day. But I mean, those are those are the types of people and the caliber of families that we have supporting all of our all of our soldiers and loved ones when they are in harm's way. And I mean, we just couldn't do it without them.
1: Yeah. And Brad, there's just this amazing abundance mindset that's central to all of that. And it's, it's part of like you, your mom, your family, I'm sure your, your wife, like it just, it's, it, it's, it's, it's in there. And I'm just curious, like if we just can talk for a minute about abundance itself is, is abundance something that's developed through, is it just, is it just something we're gifted with or is it something we can develop?
0: i believe it's something we can develop for certain because all these experiences we have in life shape us and it starts at a at a at a young age and you've got to have the ability and the awareness to to make the intentional choices that will be in support of the abundance mindset versus the scarcity mindset it is natural and it is common for for us to want to be more protect what's mine and 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 start to subscribe to a mindset of scarcity and then self-justify it however we want to. But when you're being honest with yourself and when you have the the quiet time to truly reflect, are you doing that for you or are you doing that for somebody else? And in every experience that I've had, and I'm sure that that you can relate to this too, and others that subscribe to it, when we choose on the abundant side it it, it is returned 10x It is returned 10x every single time because of the relationships and the the joy in the moment that you that you feel um, the connection that you have uh, the groundedness that you experience all those things are, are just they just become ingrained in it and then i think it just it just catches more and more momentum for you, uh, for any of us, and helps us recognize when are we? Because we all will 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 struggle sometimes and go back to the mindset of scarcity. Of well, this person's doing this, and so th- this should trigger this reaction from me, or I could lose this opportunity. Well, that it's going to be okay. Now, what do you need to own in that? Are you losing the opportunity if it's from a business standpoint because you got complacent? Did you get? Did you start getting a little too? Uh, overzealous? Did you get too greedy with what you were after? Uh, did you lose focus on what, what you truly were there to do and what you were called to do in the first place? So where, where can you own that? And what do you need to do to make it right to go back to it? Because I've, I mean, even going out on my own and having my own business, there've been times where, you know, clients come and go and you beat yourself up on it and you're like, what could I have done different? Or, Oh my gosh. And you start freaking out. I need to go do this now instead of just saying, you know what, it's going to be okay because I surround myself in a network of extraordinary people that genuinely want to see me be successful and I want to see the same for them. And so it's it's how we start to spread that with, with good people, helping good people and then trying to help others become like that too. But I do believe a lot of it is Our environment and how we're shaped through our experiences and then looking for it, because when we set our minds on things like that, it starts to unlock those those doors and those opportunities versus, you know, always being a cynic about it and saying, well, it's never going to happen. Well, sure, if that's what you look for, you're 100 percent right. And you can you can justify scarcity all day long. So if you choose to live that way, I believe you'll have a life of regret when you're going to take your last breath.
1: Well, Brad. I mean, I, I love you're the real deal, and I, you know, I know that your 14 years of military experience has has kind of transitioned into this business world. And i like, people that get to work with you are extremely lucky. I wonder if you could just tell us a little bit about what it is that you're doing now. Who are the kinds of people that you work with? And uh, yeah, just little little update on that.
0: Yeah. So I've been fortunate with. I got to be a practitioner. After I got out of the military and, and went and joined 68 Ventures, which was a parent holding company here on the Gulf Coast, one of my one of my closest friends was the founder, and, and he was also, he served, he was in the Marine Corps, and when he got out, he got out long before I did, and he got into the, the real estate home building and kind of a lot of other services like that, and so he got so busy that he said, I love the people side, but I also am a deal chaser, and I love the next opportunity. I can't do both. Will you please come on and help me on the the people performance side? And so not not HR, because I certainly don't have that background, but more just how do we help people actualize the potential that they have to be able to achieve uh, greatness and to be able to drive value in what they do so that, uh, that that they can be the best of their what they're capable of. And so that's the lane that I got to swim in. And then I got to be a practitioner in that space to try out what worked and what didn't work, because. He had to reel me back a lot because I try to bring a lot of things straight out of the military. And he said, if you try to implement this, everybody will quit. Like you need to think of another way to go about it. And so it was it was great having such trust and accountability um, with such a close friend to also help uh shape the path of the direction we wanted to go. And then we started Warrior 360, and that was our internal leadership brand, and then started getting to bring that externally. And so I work with companies from startup to uh, fortune 500 publicly traded groups and the common denominator there is people and no matter what size or complexity of the organization you're going to have those challenges and so i get to do one-to-one work with a lot of the leaders and emerging leaders inside these organizations and it can be everything from working in the shipyards doing ship repair work which is one of my biggest groups to renewable energies to agriculture technology to uh, engineering and surveying, it's it's because uh, people ask me, are you s- specific to one industry? And I'm not, it's agnostic because we're talking about human performance. And unless we're just using AI all the time and you've got people involved, then there's gonna be a, a place for it. But, uh, but get to work one-to-one, get to do a values-based curriculum uh, workshop, um, starting with the journey on self-awareness uh, and then injecting our values, understanding how we start to master self uh, before we start trying to engage and lead others. And so we have a curriculum based off of that because of a great mentor of mine that also really has helped me in this, um, named Mark Fernandez, who I, I'm just a, uh, so grateful for with everything he's done to help me get to where I am today. And then I'll get on stage and do keynotes from time to time. But that's you know where I really enjoy is being inside the companies, building the relationships, establishing the trust, understanding how the business um operates because then that'll help me understand where some of the leader behaviors are coming from to then be able to offer up things that i think would be most applicable to that organization
1: yeah it makes sense and i think if you want to develop self-awareness you want to work with somebody that's walked that path and i have to believe that in your time in the military you developed some self-awareness
0: and, and and then, and you can go ask my, my wife's my best. Uh, she gives me plenty of feedback too. So I've got,
1: <laughs> I still, I still have that
0: right there. And, uh, and she's right. been great at helping me in, in all those areas too.
1: Yeah. If people want to, if organizations or people want to find out more about you or, or learn how to, how they can work with you, what's the best way for them to do that?
0: Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, they can find me on LinkedIn um, or they can go to uh, my website, warrior three sixty Dot co and probably the best ways I'm, I'm pretty easy to find nowadays um but yeah they could go to go to that or go to my website and um and i think it's got my contact information on there but it's just brad at warrior360.co
1: great brad um for people that are inspired by your story and specifically your sense of abundance such as myself, I'm incredibly inspired by your your abundance mindset. Um, that would like to develop a similar sense of abundance and move towards abundance and away from scarcity. Like, what are some practical things that those people can do?
0: You know, I mean, I think it's it's uh, being insanely curious and and gravitating towards people that uh, that you that you see that in, and so that you can start to um, learn. Based off of the examples that they have, and then you can be modeling that on your own. But then it's just it's just day to day. I mean, I, I believe in um, until we're conditioned and form those new effective habits. If you've got to put reminders out there to just uh, every day write a letter of gratitude to somebody that's impacted your life, and I think what you do is is wonderful because you get to connect with so many different people that inspire you and inspire your your listeners, your audience, and so little things like that but but having a a simple list to just keep it top of mind and remind yourself of what are the things i want to do what are the things i want to be known for and and how i can um, recognize that in others is is really i I think a great place to start and then you'll start to find momentum or a gravitational pull uh, not only towards others but towards the things that you find a lot of fulfillment in doing it's kind of the do good, feel good model, because, I mean, at the end of the day, it is all still any of these things that we do. You could say, well, there's a selfish component to it because it makes you feel good, too. And, and I think depending on what's your intent and how you're deploying that, then I'm OK with it. And, and I think we should be because we're trying to impact others in a positive way. But um, the opportunity to mentor as well. You know, I mean, we're getting to the point where we don't feel old, but we've been around for a little while. And there's, there's a lot of guys and gals that are entering the workforce and have uh, no idea what they want to do. And they probably on the outside image are trying to portray confidence and conviction and what it is, but just being real with them and letting them know some of your stories so that they can lean on you uh, for questions, for counsel, for advice, or just for a listening ear. And I think that means so much to to folks and and I've really enjoyed having the opportunity to do that. And often it'll be even with early morning workouts, you know, getting some of these uh these folks that I've gotten um close with come work out with me and then just listen to what's going on in their world and anything I can do to help them. And you know that what a great way to start your day. I mean you get to exercise and you get to be around somebody you care about and hopefully can help. And um and then it just starts to build from there. I think you just start small. You don't try to do too much, but I, I love the ability to to bookend your day with the positives no matter what happens we're gonna we're gonna start it and we're gonna finish it with things that center us back in who we need to be because then that's going to transition into getting better sleep and waking up with a clearer thought of who we are
1: tomorrow brad you're an incredible inspiration you've lived this very purposeful life and it shows i mean I'm just I'm incredibly impressed. I feel honored to just be on this call with you right now. And I I just know that at some point Hollywood is going to pick up on your story and they're going to want to make a movie about your journey. And I want to know when they do, who's going to be the Hollywood actor that's going to play you in your movie? Well, I'm glad that you warned me on this question because
0: (laughs) um, I would totally have botched it and, and and certainly had plenty of feedback from the family. Uh, you know, one show that I watched uh, recently and, and really enjoyed was um, Limitless in that the uh, what's the Australian actor? Yeah, name? Thor. Uh, um, yeah. Not that I look yeah. not that I look anything like that guy. And um, and and so but but I did like what he stood for. And so yeah. I, thought, I thought he's a good one, but um, he'd be, he'd have to he'd have to lose a lot of muscle mass and put on a lot of fat to play play me. <laughs>
1: I love it. That's awesome. He's he's cool, man. I like him. What's your movie going to be called?
0: You know, we're doing a conference in January, and I love the the name of it and the theme. And we started this last year, and it really had such success that we're we're just running with it, and we're kind of changing up um, how we run it each year with some of the different topics under it. But but I love the theme of chasing greatness. So I like Ooh. that as a is a good one.
1: Nice chasing greatness, starring. Chris Hemsworth, and I'm definitely going to see that movie. It's going to be great. I can't, I can't wait to see it. Um, Brad, thank you so much for taking some time to spend with me today. Um, I just had a, this was such a great conversation. And for those listening, I hope you've been inspired as much as I have. I hope Brad's story has encouraged you to listen to the voice inside that calls you to adventure. Because we want to hear your story next. If you have a story to tell or just need a nudge to create one, please send me an email. We'd also appreciate it if you'd help us spread the word by leaving a review and sharing or tagging Inspire Campfire in your social media. And until next time, I want to encourage you to get outside. Thank you for listening. Brad, thank you so much for being here. You got it. Thank you, Scott.